So flow state is something we are organically craving. We just suppress it as adults. You know, kids, that's their love language. Flow is the only time your brain produces all five neurochemicals of happiness. It's a cycle. It starts with just a little bit of struggle. There's a lot of cortisol and norepinephrine involved in that state. It's mostly beta waves. You're thinking in your prefrontal cortex, how can I get this going? And that's what kids love to do. How can I craft the ideal recess basketball team so that I can win? How can I make this finger painting look even better? And eventually, you know, as you're enjoying the state of bliss and joy, you then have a recovery where you are synthesizing all that you learned and you're leveling up your skills for next time. This is Getting to Yes, the podcast with leaders from all walks of life, exploring their successes, mistakes, and lessons learned in influence and persuasion. Getting others to say yes, and then taking an insight or two to help them achieve even greater things. A few years back, I listened to Stephen Kotler's book, Stealing Fire, where he describes how Silicon Valley, the Navy SEALs, and Maverick scientists are revolutionizing the way we live and work. And this sparked many discussions with my very dear friend, colleague, and all-around superstar, Dr. Lara Salia, a functional medicine DO with a special expertise in flow state. Now, I met Lara back in 2016 when we were first launching the Evolution of Medicine Practice Accelerator, and Lara proved to be a relentless innovator, a maverick, breaking down the traditional confines of what medical care delivery used to be. Now she speaks across the globe on her mission to teach 1 million health professionals how to tap into creative flow daily so that they can reclaim autonomy, improve happiness, and eradicate burnout. She's the host of the Catalyst podcast. She's written a memoir, Right Brain Rescue, and she's mentoring countless health entrepreneurs to color outside the lines. So Lara, so great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Uli. It is a pleasure, and I've never been called a maverick, but hey, I'll take it. I'm still feeling those Top Gun vibes, so thanks for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. I've always known you as a trailblazer, charting a path for like-minded health entrepreneurs based on the neuroscience of flow state. So before we talk about your own experience with burnout as a rural family medicine physician, let's unpack what's going on in the brain that keeps most people from accessing that flow state. Perfect. It's a great place to start. So flow state is something we are organically craving. We just suppress it as adults. You know, kids, that's their love language. Flow is the only time your brain produces all five neurochemicals of happiness. It's a cycle. It starts with just a little bit of struggle. There's a lot of cortisol and norepinephrine involved in that state. It's mostly beta waves. You're thinking in your prefrontal cortex, how can I get this going? And that's what kids love to do. How can I craft the ideal recess basketball team so that I can win? How can I make this finger painting look even better? And so you're thinking, and that struggle is just enough that your skills almost barely match it. If in the right setting, you have a beautiful aha release moment, which is alpha brain waves, and that's when it feels good. You dip into the, the flow, which is more theta and gamma, and eventually, you know, as you're enjoying the state of 
bliss and joy, you then have a recovery where you are synthesizing all that you learned and you're leveling up your skills for next time. And kids all know that when they're able to release into flow, they can concentrate better in class. They they can come up with better ideas. And sad to say, I think we don't respect this flow and the power with us as adults. And we tend to think of this as a luxury. And my goal is to show people that it is an essential daily vitamin that we should all be doing. Yeah, it sounds somewhere along the lines from being a kid, being careless and running around outside doing all kinds of things, building your treehouse to becoming an adult. Life gets more and more complicated and less and less fun. So where along the way do we unlearn this? What's happening that oh. we forget this, this yes. innate bliss that we had as kids? Right. I think what's happening is obligations and unawareness of our boundaries. So we, especially in healthcare, are signing up for a career as people pleasers because we want to serve humanity. And there's this fuzzy, actually, lack of, I would say, permeable boundaries. You know, in functional medicine, we talk about intestinal permeability, but then we go into permeable boundaries. And as we are becoming adults and, you know, climbing the corporate ladder or healthcare ladder or whatever industry, we forget get how good you feel when you dip into flow. And now that we're more into knowledge workers, we aren't necessarily in that industrial revolution. We are working with our brains and applying our knowledge. We forget that we don't need to have an eight or nine hour workday. You know, if you do this correctly and you learn how to, to get into the cadence of flow and optimize your rituals and know your body and your boundaries, you can compress your workday in a shorter amount of time and get more done. And that's kind of the secret behind Stephen Kotler and the Flow Research Collective. I've really enjoyed their training. I binged on all levels, as you can imagine, Uli. I couldn't stop at their basic level. I went all the way to the top and learned how we can use flow to move the culture and to transform how we do work in America and beyond. So just curious what your definition of flow is. You know, we talked a little bit about the neurochemicals that get released and, and what brain waves are accessed. But from a very practical state, when people talk about I'm in the flow, what does it really mean? That's a great question. Flow is actually a term from Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, who is a Turkish-American psychologist who discovered, and I'm saying in quotes, flow. And it's a brainwave state. But he noticed it had certain characteristics. And this is like 20 years of research plus. And the characteristics are a timelessness where you have this elongated expanse of time. So some of us say we're in the zone. We forget where we are. We, we kind of forget how long we've been there. Either time passes so quickly or it feels like it lasts forever. It also has a richness. So all five senses are engaged and fully embodied. There's this embodiment of, of your senses into your thoughts. And then there's a effortlessness. So flow is also feeling almost like you're on autopilot. You barely need to do much. It's muscle memory. It is feeling that you are riding the wave, so to speak. And all of these things combine to this sensation that you're your ego dissolves. And that's why kids are so good at flow. They don't care how they look or act or what their product is. Flow is a state and it's a journey that we like to be in regardless of the outcome. And I think adults tend to put our ego in the forefront saying, well, I can't do it if it's not going to be good or I'm worried. And so we kind of self-sabotage our own way out of flow. 
yeah, that nicely tees out of my next question. What actually sabotages you to come out of flow state? How do people get into flow? So from your research with the Flow Research Collective and all the other things that you have done, what have you learned or what do you suggest to your clients that you work with to get into flow? Oh my goodness, I love it. There's flow triggers, there's flow blockers. But even before we get into that, it's like every industry has a foundation, right? In functional medicine, we say we start with the gut. When you're on the IT tech side, you got to have a good landing page. That's the foundation, right? So in flow, the foundation is cognitive reserve, is basically separating your planning and your execution. So one of the biggest mistakes I used to do thinking I was a great calendar time blocker. I thought I was wonderful until I learned I would wake up and react to my day. I would wake up and go, okay, what do I have going on? Where can I fill these things in? And I would go through my day almost like trying to hit a home run every time, maybe only making it to first base. By the way, this is the end of my sports analogies because I'm not a sports (laughs) person. But I would not take it seriously that the foundation of flow is anticipating and planning. And this is not rigid thinking. This is simply looking ahead at your week. Obviously, as an entrepreneur, you're looking quarterly, yearly, but we're talking just at your week, planning out what is unmovable tasks, looking at the time you have in between, prioritizing what you need to get done, but then looking at what gets you into flow. For example, some of the best flow triggers, going outside, looking at nature, moving your body, participating in some vagal toning exercises, dancing, laughing, novelty, grandiosity, all these things can be kind of plugged into your day and you can start to anticipate, wow, I get tired in about 90 minutes after I sit at the computer, I need to get up and I'm going to put on my playlist that makes me laugh and I'm going to take a walk around the block. And likewise, those are flow triggers. Flow blockers are a fixed mindset. I'm not going to get better. You know, there's a lot of mindset work that we do. Also, flow blockers are things like improper fueling of your physiology. If you are a stress bucket and you are not keeping diligent circadian rhythm hours, you're not fueling your body correctly with good food, I mean, you're not going to get into flow. So there's a lot of things to tease out in there, but the basics are just being diligent about your calendar in new ways that you never knew. So do you find that it needs to be spatially separated, that beginning of the week, you're planning for the week, and then each and every day, you know, actually not starting each day in a planning mode where you're saying what's going on, and, and you have this set so that you can separate a little bit this more executive function and being sort of facts-figure-driven versus allowing for more creativity and more flow? Right. That's part of it. Part of it is also being diligent on slapping my own wrist when my obvious habit when I wake up is to grab my phone and see what's going on. And so a lot of it is just using your brain like a battery and knowing that it is at its fullest in the morning. And so every little thing that you do or look at, I mean, there's even studies that show if your desktop on your computer has too many things cluttering it, it will drain your cognitive reserve. I mean, every little thing that you expose yourself to, whether it's the clothes you put on or the environment you keep in your office, 
everything is draining. The people talking to you, the decisions you make. I mean, we make 70,000 thoughts a day. You know, our brain is an organ that excretes thoughts. And I tell people that's never going to stop. But how are you funneling those thoughts? How are you diligently caretaking yourself? Are you able to have a little bit of morning time where even though you've planned out your week, I still open up my planning every morning and look and make sure it's aligned, make sure everything is still okay. And then I start looking at how I can have fun. You want to really cultivate that experience that gets you there. And you won't nail it every time. You're not going to be in flow all day long or all week long. But when you get those wonderful highs, you are so productive, you'd be surprised at how much you clear off your plate. So a lot of it is caretaking of that brain, making sure you're not wasting time on people, circumstances, obligations, or even saying yes to an event when it's not truly congruent with where you're headed. Yeah, absolutely. This is what people typically don't appreciate that the brain has a certain reserve of daily decisions. I used to be reactive in the morning and deal with all these logistical things, empowering my team so that they can do the work, but it backfired in a way that I just burned through my cognitive reserves. And then when I had to do copywriting or heavy intellectual things in the afternoon, recording videos at 4 p.m., I'm, I'm done with being in the zone, being resilient, being sparkly. So I rearranged my day saying, okay, after four o'clock, you deal with all these logistical things that your team needs to do the next day. For me, it's really in the morning focusing, okay, here's the big rocks that I want to tackle. And I'm not perfect. I, I still react too many to emails. But for anybody that's involved in, let's say, doing videos for their social media, when is the time in the week that you want to do it? When are you in flow state? When are you good on camera at the end of the week or at the end of the day? It's probably not going to happen, right? That That is so perfect. In fact, I'm a big rebel with the rules of algorithms of social media. I love social media. I gamify it so it works for me, which is pro flow. I like to do it when I enjoy it. I hesitate to push back against these rules that you have to do things a certain way. Who says, you know, you want to make the best experience for you. That's why we're here doing things that you enjoy. And we've all had that experience where I had put on my calendar, I'm going to make two or three TikToks or reels and then come 2 p.m. I'm tired. I, I didn't want to do it. So knowing yourself is the key is are you more vibrant in the morning or in the afternoon? And also just being that flexibility that it's not so rigid. If someday you just don't get to it, you put it on a day when you know you'll have better energy. And I think that's just the wisdom that comes with experience of knowing when and what you like to do depending on the hour. I mean, not everybody's a morning, morning bird. Some of us are night owls. So when we're talking about chronotype, what is the recipe that let's say somebody is really only productive at night? Is the idea then that person would record their most creative word at night or when they feel at their best and it does not have to be in the morning? Yeah, some of the greatest creatives, we're talking Ernest Hemingway, Picasso, all a lot of musicians, a lot of writers, nighttime is just such a potent energy time. For me, it's winter. I love winter. I know that's sacrilegious. Everybody hates winter. I love it because it's the quietness that really germinates a lot of creative thoughts. But nighttime can be very productive. The most creative people tend to get up very early and they get a lot done. And, you know, again, this is not a, a thing where you have to be an early bird or not, but knowing yourself and experimenting and seeing what would that day look like if you just tried to get up one hour earlier. That's how I wrote my book. I would get up one hour earlier, spend two hours writing 
And even if I didn't write anything, I just sat and committed to that, that little piece. This is the, the biggest myth of creativity and of flow, that you need to wait for the right environment or get that cabin on the lake to write your novel or make sure you have all the right paint brushes. Creativity and flow is just a consistent process. If you invite it and you sit with it, some days you might create a lot of stuff. Other days you might create nothing, but it's that consistency that builds your process. Yes, about habit formation and that consistency carves canyons that ultimately goes back to the brain and makes trains the brain to seek these pathways and make it effortless that, okay, this is the muscle I've trained before. I'm comfortable doing videos. I'm comfortable doing podcasts. Whatever it is that you endeavor is so important. And I, for me personally, I feel I probably need to add a lot more fun that it's like it's all work oriented. And I always see you on your TikToks doing paintings. And then there is this marketing nugget in your work. So there's always this repurposing. And well, if I do something creatively, let's make it work for my business as well and not have to do something separate. There's a creative life and then there's a business life you can merge both of yes, them together. Yes, you can. I love that. I mean, I personally love merging them, but there's also some good intention to not. You know, I believe that I think social media is fantastic, but it often makes us feel like we need to be on the stage and show what we're doing. And sometimes it's okay to keep things a little private and enjoy it, you know, have fun and don't tell anyone. I remember back in the day when I didn't know what people did until I went to school on Monday morning, you know, and so sometimes I have respect for that as well. But this is the best time for being a healthcare entrepreneur, because you can literally take little snippets of your genuine, authentic life and joy and showcase this for 30 to 60 seconds and get people to understand you as a human and you're having fun doing this. And creativity every day is a skill that does get easier and faster and you become more confident because you're just playing. And we've forgotten that lost art of play and, and need to bring it back for when I'm feeling stuck. And sometimes, you know, we go through periods of great, immense fun and joy and play, and then we feel just like we've lost our way. So I like to use the aha framework and I'm going to share it with you. It's just three steps. It's super easy. And it's, from the aha epiphany of creativity, which is Archimedes, he was known to come up with his solution to the volume, calculating the volume because he was taking a bath. And apparently the legend says that he ran through the streets naked shouting aha. And that's a perfect description of the you know epiphany, that release of the flow cycle where you get the brain waves, you know, the alpha waves are just popping. When he did this, you know, he woke us all up to understand the brain does give these ideas that seem so divergent that can come together and we have no idea the power of the brain. So the AHA framework I use is AHA and it stands for anchor, which is I anchor myself. Am I doing what I am aligned to do in my values? Is this thing, how can I make it more congruent to my values? How can I bring more of me into this? How can I make it personal? And then H is highlight. Oftentimes we don't highlight what is working well, pat ourselves on the back. That's part of flow. Flow loves feedback, but we can also highlight what doesn't work well and how can I change that? So I'm reflecting. And then finally, A, the other A is activate. I activate my internal energy. I embody whether it's breath work or movement or just bilateral drawing. I do that in my office. Some type of activation will definitely snap you into that open space where flow can come easier. 
Wow, that's a lot to unpack. And I know in your best-selling memoir, Right Brain Rescue, you talked about your journey that you hit rock bottom as a physician, you burned out. And then what was it that broke the camel's back and how did you come back and how do you snap yourself into flow state then? Yes. Okay. So this is a, a, well, goodness, I could go on forever, Uli. Let me try and edit this. So what broke the camel's back is first a great question. As we research burnout, we learn burnout is not something that literally happens overnight, overnight, right? It is a slow boiling of the water of the culture that you're sitting in. And it's like the lobster that doesn't know they're being boiled until it's too late. And for me, it was years of feeling like I had been doing everything right. I have, I loved my job in theory. I liked being a rural family doctor. I was good at it. Patients loved me. I had a lot of patients, but somehow I was miserable. I was doing yoga. I was running. I was trying to do so many things. I started to draw. I started to paint. I started to run and I started to feel better to the point that I realized where I'm at, the water was toxic and I wanted something different. And it was the one day I realized when a patient had passed away that was older, had been successfully battling cancer, well-supported with her family. She was a sweet lady. She finally was at peace. And normally that would trigger me to open up my desk drawer and pen a little card to her family saying it was an honor to care for her. I'll always remember her knitting projects. And in this moment, I actually was celebratory inside. I thought, great, I have one less refill, one less patient to see. And I felt immense shame. That to me encapsulated burnout, which is very similar to grief in our brain. Our brain, when we have grief, is just burdened with this heavy somatic sensation of hopelessness and feeling trapped. And we've normalized grief. Everybody feels grief when you lose a loved one or break up with a partner or or lose a friend. Grief is part of the normal human experience. And somehow we haven't normalized burnout. Burnout is exactly the same in the brain, same brain pattern under a functional MRI. And yet in healthcare, we act like burnout is to be avoided. You're never going to have it. I'd like to bring it in and let's normalize it. It's going to happen, whether it's in your career or maybe with a partner or maybe being a parent. But there are tools to help yourself navigate through burnout and learn how to rekindle that inner spark that is you. And that's kind of my mission is to help healthcare in that way. Look for those tiny moments where you can bring that aha back in and feel excited about your day. And it may not fix your whole life or your situation, but if more and more of us are aware of this and applying these principles, I really do believe we can change the future of medicine. Yeah, and that's that's so important just from a societal cost perspective. I think back to one of my cousins in Germany, he had full-blown burnout. He had to leave his job. He was sitting on the sidelines for half a year. The entire other cousins, the family are wondering what's going on? Why can't he perform? And nobody knew that he was heading towards burnout. Nobody told him. He didn't recognize it on his own. And so that personal experience with me tells me that this is so dangerous that all the investment that you make into your career, into your life, if you are not paying attention that the car is heading for the ditch, you're going to end up there. And I, from my perspective, missing awareness of the danger warning signs of burnout is probably the critical first step that people, as you said, it needs to be normalized, that people understand this is what's happening. In two months, you're going to be full blown there. You don't want to go there, trust me. And here's what you need to do 
instead because a lot of people are saying, I feel, don't feel good, but then they don't do corrective feedback. They keep going until it is really medically, physiologically too late to do anything Correct. other than full stop and full reboot versus where you're intersecting or intercepting people. It's, okay, you're going to be there. Let's change it, bring creativity back into your life and reboot from that. Yes. I mean, the sad part is the end terminal disease of burnout is suicide and we lose 400 physicians a year. That's more than one a day. And that is a shameful, not so secret fact in healthcare now. And it's becoming more obvious because people are speaking about it and we need to. And if we can intersect earlier and teach people the warning signs of depersonalization, of low perceived achievement and emotional exhaustion, and we teach them early on how to recognize that and give tools and appropriate language so it's not so shameful um, and you aren't worried about losing your license and you're not worried about all these things and we welcome this community. That's my goal is really to put a physician coach in every medical school and residency that is well-tuned to having these facilitated discussions so that we can help people grow in this community and not need to leave their careers in order to find happiness. Yeah. So, so important. Thanks for doing that. So you always talk or you always say that everyone has the power of creative flow inside. So what are some practical steps to tap into that, to be happier, to be more productive and find meaning in life. Oh, you'll like this one. My first recommendation is waking up and channeling your inner dog. Now, I know you are the proud papa of Frenchies, and I have my own dog. And see, dogs are simple. They wake up and they don't come with a history. They don't come with things that they worried about yesterday. They're very mindful. They're just happy to be there. They're wagging their tail. So when you wake up tomorrow, be like a dog. And what I mean by that is don't think about what you aren't good at or what you didn't like before. Be curious to explore this day and think about what did I like doing when I was a little girl or boy? Did I like jumping rope? Did I play house? Did I like drawing? There is an adult equivalent. You bet. There are clubs out there. There are classes you can sign up. There are ways you can be curious and learn something new and you know play with your brain a little bit and just be like a little kid, that inner, that beginner's mindset, that, you know, channeling that dog mentality of I'm just here to see what happens. That's the first step is just being playful and aware and looking at what you enjoyed as a kid and trying to find an element of that in your current state. Now, the second thing I advise is I love morning pages. They're a form of just brain dump and journaling. And it was coined by Julia Cameron, who wrote The Artist Way. And she is really pivotal for explaining to people that if you do creativity every day, you're going to be more creative. You're going to have a better life. And so all she recommends is starting your day with two pages of just brain dump. It doesn't make any sense, but it clears like clears kind of the cobwebs and some of this residual, you know, talking and inner things. And it might be just a list of things that you're worried about and it's done. And there is therapy behind that because it is in black and white. It is put away and you can start your day fresh. So those two things have helped me a lot when I'm trying to coach others on learning how to wake up that little creative muse that's sleeping inside. It's not from an external source, we all have it inside. We just need to wake it up. Well, I, I got to try more of this. For me, the favorite way to start my morning is actually listening to podcasts or learning that I know 
I'm filling my cup with other people's perspective because the rest of the day, everyone looks at me. What do you think? I have to constantly produce and pour and it can feel draining if I don't fill this, you know, especially with the pandemic now and people are not congregating in person anymore. You don't have that physical interaction with people where there's a little bit more slack built into the day. Now it's like one Zoom meeting after the next one. It can get tiring if you're not really take that time out to do your own thing. I'm certainly not going to start knitting, but it's probably I need to have more of these creative things in my life. So it's, yes, thanks I, for I think. Yes. I, okay. Knitting, you don't have to do, Uli. But I would say that some of us with really tight schedules online, especially in the digital world with Zoom meetings, that's a perfect example that you had mentioned, is making use of the buffer, making use of the no. And what I mean by that is obviously having the boundaries that only you can take care of yourself. So oftentimes I'll find myself realizing, wow, I just missed the mark here. I've got to buffer in the time. I've got to schedule a 10 minute block of nothing. And nobody has to know that there's nothing in there but me. Because when you invite creativity back, you have to give it oxygen and space in order for it to live. And it won't come in unless you've provided that, that room. So I love that reminder. Well, th thanks for everything that you've shared on this episode. What's the best way people can connect with you and learn more about what you do? Oh, I would love for people to connect with me. It, I inspire creativity in many different ways. So whether you are looking for a speaker for your next event in healthcare, whether you are looking for a mentor, if you're in the functional medicine space um, and you just need some accountability and a great coach who will help you with flow, Contact me at drlarasalier.com and follow me on social media. I love to make everything fun and magical and just have a blast. Yep, definitely follow her on TikTok. There's always these hilarious videos. And again, thanks so much, Laura. Great time diving into the neuroscience of flow. And uh, we'll see everyone next week. I trust this episode was inspiring and that you'll join me for a new episode each and every week. And if you enjoyed this episode, hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you are listening. And feel free to share it with colleagues and friends. I'm your host, Uli Iselo. See you next week. Music